You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the place we've been for the past two weeks. This will be week number three. And I want you to turn there with me, if, if you would. Psalm 23. For whatever reason, God has enlightened us as a church family, beginning with your pastor, to be honest, obviously it, it started with me in my heart uh, because I really felt as if Psalm 23 was becoming uh, so familiar that I was shying away from really preaching from it. Uh, you know, sometimes you just feel like when you know something, when you heard something so much, you know, you almost feel as if it's... It's, it's not going to be fresh. It's not going to be something new. Everybody's heard so, sermons on Psalm 23 type of an attitude. And I just really was burdened about that. And so God uh, allowed, allowed me to, to take these four weeks, and I'm so thankful for it. This morning, we are in Psalm 23, verse 3b, halfway through the verse, and verse 4. I want to begin this morning's message <clears throat> with an illustration. Uh, This illustration uh, really goes back 26 years ago. Uh, I'm just curious, is is Bud Bud Kaufman in the service this morning? Oh, Bud, okay, Bud, you'll you'll remember this. So back in the day, 26 years ago, we started Gospelite. A few weeks after we started Gospelite, we purchased a bus. It was, uh, we called it Murfreesboro. Remember that, Bud? It was our first bus. It was a 1978 Chevy bus. It was an old bus. And our first bus captains back in the day were Bud Kaufman and Brett Capace, my brother. Brett, pastor's in Las Vegas now. Bud is faithful in our church. So they're both still faithfully serving the Lord. And they were best friends uh, back back then, still are. But uh, we had a bus and we began to run that bus. And, and Brett and Bud would bring kids to church. We had a a small congregation, 50 to 80 people. It grew because that bus grew and that helped us. But uh, we were just a small congregation in a very small building. And uh, Bud and Brett bringing these kids in. I remember the day that I got a phone call from Bud, a young pastor. I was 28 years old. And I'd never really been through anything as a pastor super tragic. I mean, I'd never really faced any. I'd never gone through deep waters with anybody. So Bud calls me and he says, man... Brother Eric, I, I need your help. And I said, what's up? He said, man, it's, 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 it's a tragedy. And I said, what's happened? And he said, well, we have this girl. Her name's Brittany. Remember? Brittany Blevins. And he said, Brittany was in a house fire last night. She's faithful. She comes every Sunday. He said, preacher, she died last night. Well, I was asked to do her funeral, her homegoing service. Back then, we didn't have much... Technology. We didn't have all, all we had was a black and white copy machine. I got a picture of her. I taped it to the paper. I put together a little song here. I got her obituary. It wasn't much. She was just 13. Came from a project family, very poor. And uh, I put this together, and I kept it because it was one of the most fearful moments of my life up to that point. How was I going to comfort that family? What do you say? When a 12-year-old girl is dead, burned to death in a house fire, they're just ashes. There was no body. 
And I, I was thinking, I don't know what to do. I, I'm afraid. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't remember much about the funeral. I remember it. I remember that. I kept that. I've got the picture. She was 12 years old. But I remember that I walked out of that service and that graveside thinking, I've got to do a better job of being able to understand what people are going through when they go through deep waters. I've got to learn what to say. I've got to be ready because I don't think this will be the last. If I stay here in Hot Springs for what's turned out to be 26 years straight, I know that I'll face that over and over again. And God, I don't want to... I don't want to stand here inexperienced, even though I'm young and I've never faced it before. And I'm sure I I did the best I could. I usually do the best I can with what I've got, but I didn't have much. And so this morning, I want to share with you five things that you can use to minister to a person that's going through a deep valley. Maybe it might be five things to remember when you're going through a deep valley. I'm not sure which one. I'm sure everyone here knows of someone going through a deep valley. First of all, we just heard of a family going through a deep valley. This morning, a pastor is ministering to six children and grandparents and trying to help a church cope with the fact that two people who have sat in their services every Sunday are gone. I mean, the the challenge that pastor has needs our prayers. The funeral service in just a few days. And so I want to talk to you for a moment about that. If you need a worship guide, raise your hand. You can take notes. If you have one, great. If you need one, the guys are here, and they'll serve you well, I promise. Let me begin with Psalm 23. Let me read you the text. They actually put the text in the worship guide. Let's read it. It says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's begin with the first thing that I would like to share with you that you can share with someone else going through a deep valley, and that would be this. Number one, you are not alone. You're not alone. You you feel like you are. And at times I feel like I have been. But you are not alone. So let's study that very first part. He leads me in paths. Let's stop right there for just a moment. The word paths, what does it mean? It says here that he's going to lead us in paths of righteousness. It seems as if here that path is going to be a course of action. It's going to be a a certain set of circumstances, a process that we go through, a pattern of behavior. This path is not just a moment. It's not just a place. It's a journey. It is a life's direction. Would you not agree with me this morning that life has many paths? And you can choose many different directions for your life. Some directions that you could choose for your life may appear to be right in your eyes. But they actually turned out being very wrong. In fact, Scripture teaches us in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 that there's a way which seems right. That looks good. Yeah, I think I'll take that route. Well, what about, no, 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 that's that's good. That's a good route. I mean, it's there. It's an open door. I might as well walk through it. Might as well go that way. 
it looks good and it tastes good. We get down that road and we realize, wow, that road was the end. It was the way of death. It's the path of destruction. Sometimes paths can look good. They can look right. But they're wrong. Other times, some people, for some people, paths are good for, for a while. Maybe, maybe at first it, it, it's going well, but then the storm comes. And what we thought to be a smooth path, an easy path, a, a smooth road, all of a sudden became full of potholes and a lot of hard times and difficulties. But right here in Psalm 23, there's a path. And this path is a path of righteousness. Because God is interested that we are on the right path. I can assure you the path that God wants you on is a path that leads to joy. It's a path that leads to peace. It's a path that leads to blessing. That's the path that God has every time. There is never a path that God will lead you down to destruction. There's never a path that God will lead you down that will hurt you, ultimately destroy you, or defeat you. Every path that God has for you will ultimately be a path of life, a path of joy, a path of peace, and a path to blessing. Psalm 37 verse 23 says it like this, the steps of a good man, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. He's got this. He's making a way. He is the one that is clearing the path. Psalm 1611 says it like this. You make known to me the paths of, not death. God, you make known to me the paths of life, the paths of righteousness. Because in in those paths, there is your presence and the fullness of joy. Isn't it encouraging this morning to know that God guides and directs? Our path. If that's true, I want to get on that path. I want in on that path. I, which one is it? There's a path, and there's a path, and, and there's a path. How do you know which one to take? I want to give you three ways you know how you found the right path. Number one, God's will, God's path is found in God's word. God's path, God's will is found in his word. Psalm 119 verse 105 puts it like this. Your word is a lamp. It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. There's your path for me, God, and I can see it because your word has shown me the path to take. You say, well, I don't know which one to take. I I can't see it. Where is it at? Turn the light on. Turn the light on. What light? The word. The word is a light. The Word will illuminate the path. The Word will show you exactly what you need to do. It's a great, great map to the path that He wants you on. Number two, God's path is found in godly counsel. God's will, God's path is found in godly counsel. Once you get God's Word, and I would always recommend that first, then I believe there, it's always good to get good advice. To get advice from a godly source, to get advice from someone who you trust with God's word. Because you know that that they're going to give you wisdom, godly advice. Scripture says it like this in Proverbs 13 verse 10. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. The one who says, I got this. I don't need anybody's advice. Well, go talk to the pastor. Go talk to an elder. Go talk to a... 
your parent, nah, hey, I'm good. It's my life. Scripture says in Proverbs 12, 15, that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man, ah, he listens to advice. And then three, God's will is not only found in God's word and God's will is found in, in, in godly counsel, but it's also found in the spirit of God's leading. It's an amazing thing to be led by the Spirit of God. And, and usually, at first, you'll be, you'll be in the Word. And, and then you'll be getting godly counsel. And then, all of a sudden, you'll understand what it means to be spoken to inside, from the inside out. You begin to walk in a path led by the voice of God, by the Spirit's leading. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says it like this. For it is God who works in you. God works in you. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He does it both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, for whatever reason, it is those three things. And what does the scripture say about three things? A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That is a powerful trio. God's word, godly counsel, and the Holy Spirit. You can't lose, as Cliff would say, with the stuff I use. You can't lose with those three things. You will be on the right path with God's word, godly counsel, and the Holy Spirit. That's how you get on the right path. Now, notice he guides me in a certain path. What is the path he guides me on? Well, Scripture calls it a path, verse 23, verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 3b. It is a path of righteousness. Now, literally what that means is this. A path that produces righteousness. It produces righteousness. So, so what produces the most righteousness in my life? Well, I, I'm going to give you a test, and I'm going to be a part of this test. I know the answer already for me, but I'm going to give you a multiple choice test. No trick questions here. I've never done that. I used to be a part of a church that the pastor would ask a question, and you'd always answer it wrong, and you get made fun of. I don't do that here. Amen? Uh, I, I only ask easy questions. Everybody's always made 100% on my test. Everybody. So here's the test. <clears throat> multiple choice. When I'm doing the best in my life spiritually, when God is working in me the most, when I'm walking with him and God is producing righteousness in me, A, it is during the easy times of life, the good times of life. You know, just when everything's smooth and there's no problems and it's just all good in the hood. Or B, the hard times, the difficult times of life is when God is able to produce righteousness and refine me the most. A or B for you? B for me. And I would think B for most of us. Normally, it is when we're going through the difficult times. In fact, no growth without rain. No roses without pruning. No diamonds without pressure. No gold without fire. Never. Never. The paths of righteousness will go through rain. The paths of righteousness will always go through pruning. The paths of righteousness will always have pressure. The paths of righteousness will always know what fire is about because it is in those times that we learn to walk with God and experience Him in a more real and powerful way. In fact, Job put it like this in chapter 23 and verse 10. He said, but he knows the way that I take when he has tried me. That's when. When I've been pressured, when I've been tried, then I come forth as gold. 
He says, my foot is not, has held fast to, to his steps. I've kept his way. I've walked in his path. I've not turned aside. That, my friends, are why we go through things to produce righteousness in our lives. Everyone goes through hard times. God does this to all of his children because he leads us. He leads us. He leads us in paths of righteousness. So number one, you're not alone. Number two, God always has a greater purpose. Always. God is doing something. God's purposes are greater than you could ever imagine. So let's look at that for a moment. In verse number three, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Why does He do this? Why does God lead me in a path of righteousness? Why am I going through this? Well, God is bringing you through this for His reputation to be better, to increase, for more glory to be brought to His name through your trial, through your life, for His name's sake. For his reputation, for his glory, for his fame. That's why God is growing us. That's why God is shaping us. That's why God allows difficult things in our lives that his light might shine more brightly in this dark world. Because wouldn't you agree that the saved and the unsaved go through difficult times? Is that not true? What's the difference? We all go through tough times. I mean, saved people... Go through what we heard Raz experience this morning and that testimony. Lost people go through the very same thing. The difference is for his namesake. Here's the difference. The difference is how we handle a difficult situation. We're both going to go through it. Lost and saved alike. But how do we handle it? How is Eric and Carol Ann responding differently? Am I choosing love instead of hate? Am I choosing hope instead of despair? Am I choosing faith instead of doubt? Am I choosing forgiveness instead of bitterness? Am I choosing victory instead of defeat? Because as I go through hard times, my paths of righteousness for His namesake, am I displaying the reality of Almighty God in my life? Do people see God in my life as I'm walking through this path of righteousness. Is there any real difference in the way I handle my problems? Is there? That's the question for me this morning. The question for you in this path of righteousness. True victory, honestly, is genuine strength in God. And, and you know what I'm talking about. It's the only way you can make it through something. It's what people look, stand back and say that don't know God. How are they doing this? And you and I can gladly testify, it is the grace of God in me. It is only God. There's no way I can make it through this without God. He is the one who has given me love instead of hate, who's given me forgiveness instead of bitterness. I could not do it without God. And this is something that God will use for you to help others with. When I begin to think of the three, the top three deep, deep, deep valleys that I've been through with my wife, first of all, it would have to be her sickness that she had for many, many years. In the, uh, dating back about eight years ago, prior to her getting her colon removed where the disease was located and, and 
and she got her whole colon removed, not like a little portion taken out. In fact, she had ileostomy for six months, and so it was the real deal. And, and she went through, we went through some really deep valleys. We started the church a few months after we started. She spent 30 days in the hospital. She lost three pints of blood one time in our commode, in our, in our bathroom. Uh, and, and she was very, very sick for a long, long, long time. At times, she'd miss church for six months straight. Many of you only know Carol Ann to be this little Japanese princess that sits on the front row. But others of you know her as a very sickly woman who almost died. And it was in the early years of our marriage. We were just married two or three years when this storm took our, our relationship to a high or a low. We had to make a decision. How are we going to handle this? You know, I could testify as late, as early as three days ago when we were leaving Hawaii after being there to preach for Mike Bowie, one of our champion graduates, and, and, and spend some time with our family there and then some time with each other towards the end. I can testify that Thursday, sitting with two total strangers at lunch, never met him before, God put us together. We sat at that table and I watched my wife use her ripped up scarred arm with deep, deep rivers of scars and where the pus would leave her body and break her skin and she'd have to hold her arm over the bed as just ounces of pus and, 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 and disease would, would drop out of her body because what was going on in her colon was also going on in different parts of her body where there are scars. Some you can see, most of which you cannot see. And I would watch her. She pointed at her arm. In fact, I told her, honey, you, she, she only just points at it. You know, she, just, she just, you know, and I almost died. And I'm like, they, they don't know. What do you mean? You just point at your arm, you know? And, and she says, oh, I've got to explain it, don't I? And she would explain it. And I watched those folks as they teared up and they saw her faith and realized that God is real to her. And God brought her through it. And she cried and wept and shared. I mean, it doesn't matter where she is. She is sharing this testimony. People are being encouraged and helped. And what I could not see then, I can see now. I think secondly, it would, have, it would have to be the transition of our church. I remember how scared I was when I decided to take this large church with packed out to the top of the balcony and one service and, and bus ministry with 500 kids and offerings, 38, 40,000 a week. And I mean, it was crazy. The church was exploding. And, but if you know anything about our church, and I don't think it was because it was really who we were or we would not have changed. But at that time, it's all we knew. We were very uh, independent and, and very secluded from anybody else. And we weren't even sure if we would consider people who said they were Christians because of the way we were taught. Are they really Christians? And there was a lot of judgment. And, and this was the environment we were in. And then God started changing me. And it freaked me out. Because it didn't, it, I just would change a little bit and families would leave. And then I changed a little bit and families would leave. And, and I, I was thinking, I was following God. Then why is this happening? Why is our church dying? And why, are, why is the money down? And why are we 30 days from foreclosure? And why do we owe $500,000 to vendors in this town? And why are we constantly saying we're, we're trying? Hang in there with us. We're going to make it. Please pray for us. And God's doing that. Why? I, was so, I remember thinking, maybe I should just leave. I've destroyed the church. I built it. Then just, I didn't build it. God built it. But probably I had more to do with it than God in those early days. People moved here from all over the country. I don't think it was spirit-led as much as it was just the personality of the pastor. And, oh, we're going to go there because that's where, you know, that's where actually they probably thought that's where the independent Baptist was the most liberal because we were considered liberal back then by some. I remember thinking, it's over, man. 
it's over. Everything God did is just going to go up in ashes. We were already looking at other places to meet because this was going to be gone. I was so scared. But I'm sitting at the elders meeting yesterday. I'm sitting with our elders and we're talking about the church and we're casting vision and we're talking about things that we're going to share with you soon and I'm looking at all the new members and the growth of the church and the two services and the baptisms and, and the offerings coming up and the missions and I'm thinking, God, what would look so bad and what was so scary? Look what you've done. You had a greater purpose, God. You knew what you were doing. It was so scared to be in that valley. God, you were with us. Remember when Glow would have to be my third. And I'm going to come back to Glow, our special needs daughter, in a little while. Number, number three, you are not alone. God has a greater purpose. Number three, you will get through this. You will. I know right now, Raz, it, that'd be something really hard to say to that, that, that grand, those grandparents. Be really hard to say to that 13-year-old, the oldest child, 13. Oh, you're going to get through this? Doesn't even seem fair to say that, does it? But truer words were never spoken. You will get through it. I want to read you something that, you know, I was praying about how I could illustrate this. Well, in the last few years, actually probably even months, I've become... A, I'm careful I say this, I, I don't want to say I become a, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I have, I have come to follow and admire a man by the name of Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie is a great evangelist who preaches much like Billy Graham preaches. Shane, do you know who I'm talking about? I figured you would. He's a Southern Baptist evangelist now. They just joined the convention two years ago. And just an amazing guy. My son Joe went to a crusade down in Dallas where they rented out the Dallas football stadium and filled it up with people. And I think they ended up that day having 20,000 people saved. Just an amazing guy. God's using Greg Laurie like he used Billy Graham. And I didn't know this until I was looking for this illustration. So let me read it to you. I wish you could have known my son, Christopher David Laurie. 11 years ago, he left us unexpectedly. Our hearts are still heavy with sorrow. That is somehow mixed with the joy of knowing we'll see him again. Below is something my wife wrote about our son. I've spoken on this many times, but my wife has not. What she has written is honest and honoring to God in my son's memory. I encourage you to read it. And so she speaks. The day broke. In the cool morning air, the sun shone brilliantly as a breeze stirred in the campfire trees that lined the streets of our neighborhood. It was shaping up to be a perfect day, the kind of day which young moms take their children to the beach and grandmothers love to remember. I woke up early, made my bed, changed into my running clothes, tied on my Nikes, and was headed out for a quick early run. Life was good. Our firstborn son had a beautiful wife who knew Jesus as her Savior. And in the past year, even her mother had come to faith. I was happy. I looked forward to Thursdays when my daughter-in-law, Brittany, and her mom, Cheryl, would come over for a time of Bible study. Papa Greg, Greg Laurie, would take Stella for lunch so we could pray and read together. It was good. Our perfect day would last only a few measured minutes longer as we were about to face a tragedy that would break in like a cruel thief. We had been studying through the book of Philippians that morning. The verse I'd set for our time together would be Paul's famous passionate statement in chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Little did we realize we would have a crash course on the subject. Only this time, 
I would no longer be guiding the discussion. God would. My son was 33 years old. Somewhere on the 91 freeway between Green River and Service Club Drive, Christopher's life on earth would end. He had a daughter who was to celebrate her second birthday in four days and another baby girl due in four months. Her party would be canceled and for many months time would stand still. It felt like God had taken a big eraser and cleaned the chalkboard of my dreams. He would draw a different picture than the one I had in mind. The colors would be darker and more somber. The lines less straight and crisp. Thomas Merton is said to have written, God draws straight with crooked lines. It's true. It's unimaginable planning your son's memorial service, choosing a coffin, a gravesite, an inscription, unimaginable standing in the delivery room, watching the birth of his second child without him there. Every holiday, anniversary, birthday, parts of me have been broken and broken again. We've never suffered more, cried more, trusted more, or grown more. Getting up in the morning and going to bed at night required strength we didn't have, and only God could give it, and he did. You may have heard people who suffer say things like, it feels like a punch in the stomach. I can tell you the emotional pain you face one second after you wake Wake knocks the wind out of you. My first thought is Christopher's gone. It isn't a bad dream. Oh, God, help. The pain hasn't gone away. It's changed. Trauma over time hurts differently, unfolding and morphing unexpectedly. I stopped asking why because I knew that even if I heard the answer, it'd be too big for me to wrap my mind around. How unsearchable are his judgments in his past beyond tracing out. I do know the Bible is full of stories that help me. Stories of those who could teach me how to live in pain. I suggest you to learn them and take notes. They flooded my mind and instructed my heart that dark day. In the book of Acts, we read the stories of how Simon Peter was released from prison. But in the same chapter, the apostle James was beheaded. Hebrews 11 is full of contrast. Some women received back their dead, raised to life. Some stopped the mouth of lions, while others were tortured and put to death by stoning. None of us know how our lives or the lives of those around us will play out. But I can say, God is good. I've heard the Lord Jesus' calming voice and felt his nearness. I can stand beside Mary, his mother, at the foot of the cross and hear his cry, My God, my God, why? I can imagine the tears of our Lord, too, has tasted at the tomb of his friend Lazarus as he prayed and sweat blood and cried alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. I have a God who suffered, and for that reason, he's my greatest comforter. He knows what I feel, and far, far more, he is able to give me strength I need every day for this. I love him more. Just days after the Lord took Christopher home, we received a card from... And if you can ever read anything from this man, we received a card from Warren Wearsby. Wow, my favorite, that I kept in my journal. I read it again today and on the eve of Christopher's anniversary, and here's that letter. Dear Greg and Lori, Warren Wearsby says, and he's 92. As God's children, we live on promises, not explanations. And you know the promises as well as we do. When we arrive in heaven, we will hear the explanations. Accept them, and we will say, may the Lord be glorified. Meanwhile, we continue to walk by faith, asking God to help us comfort others, lest our own tears be wasted. Your people will detect a new tone in your ministry, whether you sense it or not, and the Lord will accomplish unusual things. Trust him. Betty and I will be wrapping our arms around you as we pray for you. It takes time to digest grief, so be patient with yourselves and with the Lord. And remember, Jesus saves the best wine. She says, it's all true. We've lived on the promises. We have no tidy explanations. We have accepted this and have seen the Lord glorified in unexpected ways. We've been comforted and have comforted others. We have not wasted our tears. There, are, there is a new tone in our ministry. God has done unusual things. We continue to trust him as we digest our grief. Jesus does save the best wine for last. And until then, I will wait for that day. I can almost taste it now. That, my friend is a very, 
very deep valley. And at first, like you, like the Lorries, like this family, it's all about what? Survival. Just making it through another breath. Just making it another step. It's just about survival. But you will get through this. And that's what the scripture says. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through. We have people in our church facing this right now. Right now. In our own congregation. Facing the valley of the shadow of death. People that sit near you, people that were sitting near you, but now are in hospice or sitting in a bed wondering what the diagnosis is going to be. They're on our prayer line every week. They're in prayer emails you get every week in the valley of the shadow of death. So I want you to circle two words. If you have a phone or an iPad, I want you to, whatever you do, I want you to take the first word, even. Even. Even though, even if, I'll let Mercy Me illustrate this one. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, Right now I'm losing back I've stood on this stage night after night Reminding the broken it'll be alright But right now, oh right now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring When I'm held to the flame like I am right now I know you're able and I know you can Save through the fire with your mighty hand But even if you don't My hope is you alone They say it takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing, a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing that fire. Bow down. Bow down, or we're going to cast you into that fiery furnace. They looked and said, Our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. You see, that's, that's the kind of God we serve. And you will get through this. I spend more time with people in the valley of the shadow of death than most people do because I'm a pastor. Every week of my life, somebody says to me, I ain't glad I ain't got your job. I'll be praying for you, pastor. (laughs) That's why you're the pastor. You're right. And sometimes I wish I didn't have my job either. Being with people in the most difficult times of their life. Being with Kitty Pressler yesterday. Otis leaning over that bed and kissing her cheek. Just trying to go through the fire with her. Such a sweet lady. Such a sweet lady. Going through with Mark Brown. Now the third round of cancer. Going through with Miranda and Jesse, trying to pray that radiation beam around your heart, picturing it in my mind as I pray, just that beam going around your heart, God moving it, and then being nervous when I heard you were rushed to the emergency room because you were having a hard time breathing, and I'm thinking, oh God, you got you to do better, <laughs> and I know God's doing the best. We do go through a lot of hard times. We go through dark nights. We go through difficult circumstances. But can I tell you something? As a pastor, I've never seen the faith of a true believer shine brighter than in those times. Never. I've never seen the faith of a true believer shine brighter than when they're going through a valley. You will get through this. This too shall pass. Better days are ahead. I like the way Isaiah 43 and verse 2 puts it. 
when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. You are not alone. Number four. When you realize you're not alone, God has a greater purpose. You will get through this. Then you realize you have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. In fact, we follow the passage here. I will fear no evil. So, so think with me for just a minute. That, that's a pretty steep statement. I mean, I mean, what is it that people fear as they go through the valley? Well, it isn't the valley. It isn't. It's not the valley we fear. It's not what's there in the middle of the valley. I can tell you, now illustrating my special needs daughter, it's what you face in the future that you fear. You see, when Gloria was born, she would look normal. She seemed normal. She wore a diaper like, like every little baby wears a diaper. And she still wears a diaper today at age 12. And believe me, we changed a massive poop this morning. <laughs> They're big. <laughs> And she still poops her diaper, 12 years old. We didn't know that back then. See, she looked normal. She looked okay. And then we started noticing something's different. Something's not right. So you take her to a doctor, and he says, well, uh, you know, it's probably just autism or something. And then you take him to another. Well, it might be Asperger's. You take him to another. Well, we're not sure. I mean, she might be okay. Oh, she's going to get better. I, I guarantee it. It's just a little something. We'll give her this, give her that, give her this, shoot her with this, give her this drink, give her that. And, you know, you're thinking, oh. And then all of a sudden. You hear the diagnosis and you start studying the diagnosis and you realize, oh my, this isn't changing. We're always going to have her in our home and we're never going to be able to do anything like we did this past week without having someone who's willing to stay with her and we, we can pay them and, 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 and make sure that they're well taken care of so we can maybe do some things like that. And, and, and this is never going to change. And you start thinking about the future. What's it going to look like? And we're not going to be able to do this forever. And what do we do when that? And all these things begin to overwhelm you and, and you feel that fear, not what's, what you're in, but what you're headed to. I want to say this morning, based on what I've experienced, you don't have to fear the future. You don't have to fear losing your reputation. You don't have to fear losing your mind. My wife often has said to me, I just don't want to lose it. Honey, you don't have to fear losing it. I got some good news. And it's in the verse that you've read a million times. Why do we fear no evil? If I could speak in tongues, I'd do it right now. Because you are with me. You never leave me. I don't fear the future because you know the future. You're already in the future. You're already there, God. So I can go through this knowing that I will never have to do it alone. You will go through me. You will be with me. And I have nothing to fear. That's what Charles Wesley said. Other than the cross of Jesus Christ, the best news is God is with me. God is with me right now. I'm not preaching this sermon by myself. Don't compliment me without complimenting God. It's not good sermon, Eric. It's good job, God. He's the one that wrote the stuff. I'm just talking about it. 
You see, we're not alone. If I could say that to that dear, precious grandparents and those kids, you're not alone. He's going to go with you. You've got nothing to fear. And the fifth thing to remember when you're going through a deep valley and in closing is that you're safe and secure. You're safe and secure. Why? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What are rod and staff? Well, they are the two instruments that a shepherd uses with his sheep. And they're the only two. But let me give you the best way to describe what they are. The shepherd would use the rod as protection because that's what it is. It's a picture of protection. The rod is. The rod would be what the shepherd would use to stave off the enemy. Or if, if a wolf or some sort of a coyote or something dangerous, he could use that rod to stave it off. Maybe to kill it. Maybe to destroy it. Maybe to protect that sheep. A rod was used by the shepherd to protect the sheep. But then there was a staff. And the staff was a picture of correction. The staff is, would be used by the shepherd to correct the sheep. If the sheep were to go the wrong way, he could stab that, 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 that staff there and make the sheep go in the right way. Or maybe he could knock it a little bit there and just pop it. Ah, uh-uh, we ain't going that way. Right this way. Ah, you know. <laughs> so God's protection is for our safety. God's all about safety. Nothing ever comes into your life that God Almighty doesn't know about. How many need to hear that again? (laughs) Nothing comes into your life that God Almighty doesn't know about. He's got this. He's going to protect you. He's doing this for your good. It's all about God's safety. He is all about using the rod to protect But God's correction is for our security. You see, something I learned about working in these at-risk neighborhoods in the many early years of our lives. I remember walking into a certain home with Sonia Chittum. Sonia and I, she ended up adopting two kids in this house. Sonia was asking about adopting, and I said, well, I know a couple of kids. I didn't know it was this bad because I walked in the house, and we stepped over drug-induced bodies and drunkards. And, I mean, there were bodies. They looked like dead bodies all in this house. I mean, there must have been 15 just adults wasted. And we found the two children in a closet just shaking all alone, neglected, not corrected. One of the saddest things you could ever see. No security in that. You know, sometimes I think you kids might think, children, teenagers, that the good life would be to eat Fruit Loops every day of your life. You know, Jimmy, just give me more sweets. Give me more Fruit Loops. Let me do what I want to do. I want to go to that party. I want to be, have that friend. I want to have that girlfriend. I want to listen to that music. That just seems like the good life. And you look at those that do get to do that, and you think, man, I'm deprived. I don't get to do the fun stuff. Can I tell you something? What you have that you will understand soon is you have your parents' protection. You see, they're giving you security that the other children do not have. There's not one child in the world that is living that way that doesn't look at you when you say, I'm sorry, I can't do that, my parents won't let me, or no, this, that, or the other. Whatever it is you say and you get made fun of, trust me, that's not real, that's fake, that's phony. There's not a kid out there that's not looking for security and protection from somebody that truly loves them. Yesterday, I 
was cleaning out a drawer and I found yesterday the Capace Attitude Adjuster. Oh, this needs to be framed and put in our house for our grandchildren to see. You say, how do you have such good kids? Let me tell you something. When Mo saw it yesterday, I said, Mo, look, you can't do that, 27. I'm 27, Dad. I'm like, you remember this? He goes, oh, Dad, do I remember that? Caroline's got all their names written on it, literally. I mean, this thing is a relic. I mean, it is so cool. She made it. Somebody out there, just in case you're wondering, since we've already raised our kids and they'd all testify in a court of law that we loved them, just in case you want to turn us in. Just meet our kids first. Ask them what they think of their parents. Ask them what they think about us. Ask them questions like this. Did your parents get on your nerves? Yes. Did they say no a lot? Yes. Did they spank you? Yes. Did they send you to your room? Yes. Did they ground you? Yes. Did they let you hang out with whatever you wanted to? No. Did they let you listen to whatever music you want? No. Did they, just, just, you're going to get a lot of that. You'll get all of that you want. But then you ask them this. What do you think about your parents? Best parents in the world. We love them. We wouldn't have any other way. We trust them. We didn't see it then. We see it now. Because we're doing that to our own children. Because we love them. That's how God is. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. You know the greatest security I have as a Christian? You're going to love this. The greatest security that I have as a Christian is that God corrects me. I love it. That's, that's, that's why I'm still pastoring this church. Trust me. There's been many times I would have ruined my life were it not for the correction of God. There's many times I would have gone off the deep end. Many times I, would have, I could have possibly ruined my marriage, lost my wife. I could have gotten involved in, in sexual sins that could have led me down a bad path. And, and, and I, I, I've been down that road. I've seen the, 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 the first miles of certain roads. But yet God has corrected me. And sometimes it hurts. He's whacked me a few times. He loves me. He's taken that rod of correction, that staff, and he's, he's loved me with that. There's something incredibly secure in knowing that God is going to correct me. God's going to follow through with your behavior. It's a beautiful thing. Trust me. You're safe and you're secure. You know, I don't know how good I did with the Brittany Blevins service. I'm sure I made it through. I probably quoted Psalm 23, to be honest with you. I didn't know any of this stuff. I just knew it was the chapter everybody used. Oh, I, quote Psalm 23, it'll be good. Everybody does it. Okay. And I think the Blevins family thanked me. But I remember I never want to feel this way again. I, I, I want to be able to do a better job of telling people how they can get through it. And so this is just 26 years of growing as a pastor. And I bring you today a chapter that I've known for a long time, but I've never really known it until now. And so, in just a moment, our worship team is going to come, and they can make their way on up now. They're going to sing a song that we've just kind of chosen for this service. The words to the first verse are, You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song. Of deliverance from my enemies till all my fear is gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear because I'm a child of God.
you're a child of God today, you don't have to be a slave to fear. God's got this. You're not alone. He has a greater purpose. You'll get through this. You have nothing to fear, and you're safe and secure. And the place of ultimate victory is to trust and not be afraid. So I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, and while your heads are being bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask you some questions. I want you to think about it just with your eyes closed. What is the most difficult thing you are going through right now? What is it? What is it? What is the most challenging thing that God is allowing you to face right now? Right now. What is it? What is the path of righteousness that he is leading you into that will ultimately be for his greater glory? Are you enduring it? Or are you embracing it? I'd like to ask you this morning to take a moment and embrace it. Thank God for it. Know that whatever it is, God is going to do something with it beyond your imagination. It may not be until heaven that you understand it all, but I, I want you to trust me on this, and most of all, trust God. He is going through it with you, and it will be for your greater good and his greater glory. And if you say, well, you know what, Eric, I got some good news. I'm not thinking of anything right now. It's all good, man. So there, what do you think about that? Here's what I think about that. It's coming. Storm's coming. It's, it's a category two right now. It's somewhere out there, but it's coming your way. And it's going to land shore be okay when it does you're gonna be okay so in just a moment we're gonna sing and give you a chance to respond however you need to respond you need to come make a path down the altar if you need to pray with a spouse hold somebody's hand pray in your seat cry a few tears worship sing with the worship team there's a lot of things you can do right now pick one but whatever you do do it with God do it with God Father, I love you. God, I pray that you bless the next few moments as we close the service. And just take a moment to recognize your power and your presence in this place. I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would know that right now they can receive you. Even in this moment, they can receive you. And God, I pray that they would know that I am here along with other elders to, to rejoice and to, and to pray a prayer of thanksgiving and rejoicing with them about this great decision they're making right now. And so, God, may they also know that their invita the invitation is for them as well to come. So, God, bless our time and our invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?